0: Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a little while in today's Clark-rageous moment, oh boy, more problems with dietary supplements, danger to your health and your life. I'm going to tell you what to look out for and where the real danger is for you and coming up yet later there's a real shift in the car industry and the changes in the industry are really favorable to your wallet after years of record high prices for vehicles I'm going to tell you what you need to know how you can take advantage of a shift in the marketplace. and. Speaking of a shift in the marketplace, credit card companies are having a really hard time acquiring new customers. They have really spent themselves into exhaustion with various sign-up bonuses trying to capture customers. And the big problem for the credit card companies is having an offer that is compelling enough that you're willing to to change your patterns in what you use and that you'll get a new one. So credit card companies know one of the things that holds you back is your concern about having a hard inquiry on your credit, especially if you're declined for whatever it is you've applied for. So the credit karma people that have gotten to be a huge force in the industry because they have such a massive base of customers across the United States. Tens and tens and tens of millions of people have signed up for Credit Karma to monitor their credit, monitor their scores, and see what they can do to raise their scores. They've become so influential that there's now a new program available where certain lenders are giving credit karma the criteria to crunch where without you having to apply for a card you know up front or for credit you know up front the likelihood that you will be granted that card so that you don't let's say you've frozen your credit like I have that you don't decide hey I'd really like to have that card that that I've seen the ads for, and so you go through the process, thaw your credit, apply for the card, and then maybe they turn you down, which is a a triple downer, because you don't get the card, it impacts your credit score some, and you went through the whole process of thawing your credit to do it. So with the Credit Karma system now, for some of the major issuers, and not everybody's on board you're able to do what basically is a simulation they run because of what they know about you, and with them knowing the criteria required for approval, including some proprietary stuff of various issuers, they're able now to tell you yes or no, and then you know if you get a yes, hey, I can go ahead and apply for that card. I signed into my Credit Karma dashboard to see how it looks, how it works, and so it shows me who I'm good to go to and apply for credit for, and it's, it's a little jumbled. It's not as clear as it should be. See, if you haven't spent a lot of time on your Credit Karma dashboard, it will require some time on your part to really understand how the process works. And I'm sure over time they'll make that clearer. But it is a great way to basically test drive what your credit qualifies you for without having to go and do the full application and then only then find out, oops, they don't really like me. Neil's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Neil. Hi, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Neil. You were planning on moving, but not right away. Tell me about that.
1: Right. So I purchased a house a few years ago, late 2015, looking to move in about two years from this coming January, trying to see what my best options might be as far as selling or renting out or what I can do.
0: Well, you are a serious advanced planner, <laughs> So you're asking me about... An event likely to happen in your life two years from now. How do you know that that's the window when you're going to move? Are you in the military or something?
1: I was in the military, but I'm currently a police officer. So my family and I are looking to move from Texas up to Tennessee. You
0: okay. So that's, so you have a clear path. And, and I want to tell you, I appreciate your double service to our country. I mean, you already put your life in danger for us as a soldier. Now you're putting your life in danger as a police officer and I'm grateful to you for that. Thank you. Um, So you bought a house at a time you got uh, an exceptionally low interest rate on the house, I'm assuming.
1: Correct, it was about 3.25%. All
0: right, and rates have moved up roughly two points since then. Mm -hmm. And so uh, with you planning to move in two years, I don't have a specific uh, strategy for you that you should sell now, rent a home for a while, then look for a home when you get to Tennessee because who knows what's going to happen with economic conditions and prices a couple of years from now. The house market has slowed down and people are not able to sell houses in most markets with the ease they were before. So what would you do today different than just know you're planning to move in a couple of years and you're going to have the benefit of that low interest rate for at least these next couple of years?
1: Right. So right now, pretty much I'm looking to utilize a VA building loan once we get up to Tennessee and somewhere thereafter. So my biggest issue with retaining the house and renting it out would be most companies require two years of rental income, or else it counts against me as far as debt-to-income ratio. Right. Um, So that's kind of where I am if I want to just take some loss, if it might be worth it initially, just to get that mortgage DTI out of there.
0: Well, again, that is a fascinating scenario you're painting to me and one that that no one has ever posed to me like you did. Because you're talking about um, your family having to uproot twice in a couple of years but if you wanted more certainty uh, that is what you could do you could keep this property you move somewhere else as a renter you lock in that ultra low interest rate you have at three and a quarter my only real concern with that scenario is that you then are in a position where you're going to be living in tennessee with a rental property in Texas, and that is very difficult to manage from so many miles away.
1: I agree. Do you have any experience with dealing with better the rental property agencies or whatever they might be called? Um, are they
0: usually pretty good? With uh, What was that expression used? I'm sorry. Uh, basically property management. Oh, yeah, property man. I use a property manager to manage a rental property for me that I have that's 300 miles away, that I just could not adequately properly manage it. And so it depends on local conditions. But in my case, I pay half of the first month's rent as commission. And then after that, I pay a much lower commission rate moving forward. So I tend to attract long term tenants. And so I've got a big hit up front and then smaller after that. The disadvantage to me is that anytime something breaks, when I'm billed for it for repair, maintenance, something like that, seems like it's not the most generous bill ever. The okay, prices t- tend to be fairly high because, I mean, they're providing a service to me overseeing the property and managing it. So you have a significant rake off in your net revenue because of the commissions you're having to pay and the ongoing expenses you pay. So I I don't know, even with that very attractive mortgage rate, I don't know that you fit the scenario of somebody who would keep that property as a rental going forward. And so in that case, I would say, why don't you keep it simple for you and your family, live there until uh, it looks like you're ready to move to Tennessee, and then put it on the market at that time. You'll have the benefit of maybe a couple more years of your mortgage based on that three and a quarter, and then at that time you sell it and you move on. There are no perfect crystal balls, but that's what I would do. Judy joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Judy.
2: Hi, Clark.
0: How you doing?
2: I'm good. I've been a big fan of your show for so many years, and now we're retired in Daytona Beach.
0: Well, how do you like living at the beach?
2: Oh, love it. Love it. I live in paradise.
0: Oh, that's great.
2: <laughs> and uh, Clark, my question's about auto insurance. Uh, we have uh, what a major company is calling a non-cancelable policy. I'm wondering exactly what does that mean, uh, no matter how many uh, wrecks or accidents I have that are my fault? Will I still be covered, but at what, uh, at what cost?
0: You you just laid it out better than I ever could. You know, this is a gimmick with the non-cancelable auto insurance policies, because unless it also includes a cap on how much your premiums can rise over time, uh-huh. then I don't see any great virtue in somebody saying, no matter what, you can be the worst driver in the world. We're still going to insure you. But if it doesn't say at what cost, that promise means nothing.
2: Okay. I, I, you know, I've been talking to some other companies and I'm thinking, gosh, do I want to lose that benefit? But um, you've just uh, solved my problem.
0: How long have you been with this insurer?
2: Oh, gosh, 40 years.
0: All right. So let me tell you something about your insurer. They are one of the ones that uses what's known as loyalty index scoring. Uh which is, uh, and you would definitely be high on the loyalty index score, having been with them more than 40 years, they uh, charge you higher rates because you've shown yourself to be so extremely loyal, and they know that a certain percent of their customers tend not to comparison shop, tend to just remain intensely loyal, and so your reward for that is higher rates. Uh Uh-huh. So if you're finding a significant difference... And mm-hmm. what they quote you, and what others are quoting you—that's why they're charging you above general market rates. What kind of difference have you found so far?
2: Oh, not a not a huge amount. I uh, my car is an older car, and uh, so I'm not carrying a lot of big coverage on it. Um, you know, like um, for every six months, probably a couple of hundred dollars.
0: Well, you know, a couple of hundred is less than I would expect you to tell me is the difference Uh and uh, make sure the coverages you're getting quoted are the same. And then you can make a call whether in your life four or five hundred dollars a year is money really uh, better in your pocket. Or if you prefer, since you've shown yourself to be such a loyal kind of person, if you'd rather pay the more money and stay with who you're with. But uh-huh. as far as that guarantee from them, that guarantee, unless it also covers premiums, is worthless. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, if they didn't say anything about premiums.
0: Aha, uh-huh. of course not. Yeah, we'll keep you forever. But we're going to charge you a zillion dollars. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a special a warning to you your life and your health could be at risk with certain dietary supplements. Rip outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. There's a new report out in the Journal of the American Medical Association that a large number of dietary supplements that were subject to recall last year are still being sold on store shelves and still being sold on the internet. These items are extremely dangerous. And uh, in fact, the wording in the Journal of the American Medical Association, these products have the potential to cause severe adverse health effects. I mean, that's as clear as it could possibly be for somebody writing about medicine, right? And these supplements that are being sold that are very dangerous fit into three particular areas where items are being sold with extremely dangerous ingredients in them that can lead to heart trouble, high blood pressure, a number of things, and they're most heavily uh, dietary supplements being sold to people that are trying to do uh, weightlifting, build up muscle mass, people that are trying to lose weight, and people that are trying to help themselves in the bedroom. And so those three areas Which are that's one that's pretty large segment, those three, of the dietary supplement industry. And what I can recommend is what I've recommended in the past is that you buy dietary supplements that are USP rated, that it's an organization that has a voluntary code of conduct in the absence of FDA oversight based on a law passed by Congress last decade. Dietary supplements industry operates removed from and protected from normal safety oversight and only after the fact that leads to recalls does the FDA have any power over dietary supplements. So in other words people have to suffer medical harm before there's any action but in this case where there's been action the companies selling dietary supplements are like oh, we're not going to recall them what are they going to do to us anyway and they're still for sale. We are posting at Clark.com the list of ingredients that specifically you want to make sure you are not taking in dietary supplements for any of these three purposes. Again, weight loss in the bedroom or for weightlifting or building up muscle mass. It's my pleasure to have you here with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. There is a shift going on in the vehicle market that I want to make sure you're attuned to. Several factors coming together all at once that mean that if you are interested in a vehicle, your timing right now is very favorable. So let me hit you with the factors affecting the marketplace. Number one, we've got a situation where we've had record or near record vehicle sales for the last half dozen years. We've reached a point where uh, we're way past people who needed new wheels and we've covered a lot of people who wanted new wheels and so now the dealers, the manufacturers are running out of the people who need and want. So we're playing much harder to get because The replacement market for old, worn-out vehicles is not that large right now, and the number of people who have vehicles that are older, not as many because so many people have gotten newer vehicles of late, and then you add in higher interest rates. The interest rates on car loans have gone up quite a bit as interest rates in the general economy have risen, car loans reflect the increases immediately so now people are looking at higher monthly payments the third factor is something i shared with you about six weeks ago and that is that after years of an undersupply of suvs and crossover utility vehicles a lot of things we call suvs are actually cuvs just so you know what the difference is uh, true SUV is built on a truck platform. Very few in the United States are built on a truck platform. Almost all of them are built on a car platform just with a body put on top of them that looks like and sits a little higher like you think of as an SUV. So manufacturers were caught flat-footed several years ago when people shifted from wanting passenger cars to wanting these crossovers. So there was a continual shortage below what demand was. Now the vehicle makers have caught up. The automakers are making plenty of those SUVs and crossovers. So now we've got supply and demand in balance at a time that the market softened. Dealers all over the country reporting more, uh, fewer and fewer people coming into showrooms, fewer and fewer deals closing. And depending on where you are in the country, a lot are noticing a double-digit decline in sales. So this is a great opportunity for you if you're actually someone who's in the market for a vehicle. It means that you're in a position to have far more negotiating power, especially if you're interested in a crossover or an SUV. You have much more negotiating power than you've had in recent years. So yeah, you will face potentially higher interest rates, but you can dial back the clock if you historically have gotten your vehicle loan at the car dealer, and instead this time you get it at a credit union, you will likely drive the interest rate back to below what it would have been at a car dealer before interest rates rose, because the interest rate difference is so gigantic between a credit union and a car dealer and significant between a credit union and a bank. The other thing is as you are shopping around for a vehicle, I want you to use the online methods to shop for a vehicle. If you're a member of one of the big warehouse clubs, Costco or Sam's, they both have car buying programs, no negotiation and the marketplace softness is directly reflected And the pricing you'll see from those programs. If you're a USAA member, I want you to look to buy a vehicle through their program. Used cars are a completely different process. I'll talk about that at a future time. But the key with a new vehicle, arrange your financing in advance, preferably at a credit union. And second, do your shopping online, not at a dealer. The only thing you should be doing at a dealer is test drives, and taking delivery i've got a guide at clark.com that walks you through this buying process and one other thing about transportation i keep forgetting to mention uber and lyft are offering free rides on election day if you would like to have them do the driving for you to the polling place instead of you having to drive to the polling place dale is with us on the clark howard show hello dale how you doing, Clark? How you been? I'm doing great, thank you. Ho- hope you are, too.
3: Yes, I am. Thank you.
0: So you got a question for me that how you're doing makes a huge difference, potentially, to how I answer the question.
3: Could be. May help in the long run. I was just curious about the, my question concerns about taking Social Security at uh, 62 and possibly investing that whole amount as opposed to waiting for the higher amount at a later age. I feel like with the right investment, you probably would be doing better off than waiting until uh, 66 and four months. So It it's, seems like a whole chunk of change yeah. you're letting the government handle, and and you could probably be doing something with it yourself.
0: The stunner is at what investments earned today, what savings earned today— it is nearly impossible for someone to take early Social Security, invest that money, and out-earn what the imputed advantage is to you waiting those extra four years to take your Social Security. The reason is is that every year you wait, you get a Social Security check roughly 8% larger. And then, as the cost of living adjustments occur your cost of living adjustment is based for the rest of your life on a higher initial amount. So, and also there's no tax you're going to owe for waiting to take Social Security versus taking it early, investing the money, and then if you do well investing, you then have to pay tax on the money you earned investing. Mm. So there are a lot of inherent advantages to wait and the most common age people take Social Security is what you're noodling right now at age 62. Right. My advice is when you've got to have the money is when you take it. And in my case, you know what age I'm going to take it? Where Age 70. That's the last yeah. time you can <laughs> take it and get all that buildup of the 8% approximately <laughs> extra each year. Right. And so I'm going to... Uh, hold out till the last minute so that i can end up with a much larger social security check at the time i take it so you gave the uh, you gave the analogy of 62 and your retirement age which you said 66 years four months is that what you said yes so if you were still doing okay financially and you didn't even need it then i would like you to keep kicking the can forward
3: yeah, I plan on it. I'm pretty healthy. I'm not going anywhere. I am still feel like I'm 18, so I don't think anything's going to stop me soon. So probably good advice. It just seemed like a lot of money left on the table. My calculations kept telling me it take 11 years to regain the money that I let go at 62.
0: That's completely true. But the big problem with um, retirement years is later in retirement— When we may not be physically able, if we needed more money to go back to work, we may have more medical bills. I mean, the fatter check becomes a more benefit. Now, let me tell you the risk I'm taking. My brother in January, my oldest brother, will have lived longer than any male in my entire family tree, Mm -hmm. as far back as any of us know ever, and he will be at that time Seventy-two. So, you know the wow. we are not uh, genetically disposed to live long as guys in my family. So, can you imagine? I'm going to wait till age seventy, and <laughs> I may have no benefit I ever get out of the system.
3: Well, I've got a mother that's over ninety, and she's still kicking. So, I
0: well, so in your case, there's a direct advantage mm. to waiting because what you're really concerned about is way down the road. So I hope that my brother, uh, who also waited till age 70, that he ends up living a really, really, really long time, for many reasons not having anything to do with money. Noble is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how you doing? That's fine.
4: Great to talk to you. I'm a big fan.
0: Well, thank you so much. Yes, sir. So you got a nasty gram from a credit card company. What did they do to you?
4: So I opened up a credit card. Uh, it's a store card. I know you're not a. I know you're not a fan. Uh, uh, several years ago, and I haven't used it in years. And it's only got a limit of about a thousand dollars. Nothing owed or anything like that on it. But I got an email saying that uh, if I didn't use the card by December twelfth, that they were going to close the card. And I wanted to see if it would be in my best interest, I guess in my credit's best interest, if I close the card before then or if I just let them close it or, or, or what? what would be the best.
0: Makes no difference either way, but I wanted to ask you a question. This store card, does it have a Visa or MasterCard logo on it or is it just for purchases in that store?
4: It looks like it's just for purchases in the store.
0: There's no real advantage to you having that if you have you have sufficient credit elsewhere, Visa's, MasterCard's, American Express, Discover.
4: Oh, oh yeah, it's it's less than, you know, 2% of my overall credit. Yeah, um, so I,
0: I would I would dump it. Just okay. let them just let them kick you to the curb in December and be done with them because there's no real advantage to having store credit. It is Looked at in the industry as junk credit, right? And right. you're not intending to use it again, so let it just walk away.
4: Okay. If it did have a Visa or Mastercard logo, because uh, uh, then again, I'd, I'd I, want
0: then I'd uh, want you to keep it. Okay. I would want you to go keep it. Do some purchase somewhere, uh, whatever you know, five dollar purchase somewhere, just something that takes it from being inactive to an active card. Okay. And then it stays as active and part of your overall credit mix. But when okay. it's just uh, what I think is referred to as a monoline, where it's just for that particular store, Right. those you don't want to have.
4: All right. Well, that sounds great. I, I sure do appreciate uh, you taking me on the call, and I've been a big fan for years. Thank you very much, Clark.
0: Well, you're kind to say that. Thank you so much.
5: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: Hello, how's it going? Great, thank you, Lee. I understand congratulations are in order?
6: Yeah, yeah, I got married recently. Uh, before that, though, I do have to uh, embarrass you a little bit. Uh, I only found your podcast in the last few months, uh, but the reason I did this so is I was browsing around and I noticed your name, I recognized it because I'm living in uh, New Orleans right now, grew up watching you on TV, on the news all the time. In fact, I got all my uh, Christmas recommendation from Christmas for Christmas. Uh, All your gadget and toy recommendations from that stuff on the news. So that was uh, really fun that I got to find you again.
0: Well, that's great to have you. I hope you enjoy our podcast. Yeah, it's
6: been great so far. Yeah, I've been uh, learning a lot for sure.
0: Thank you. So just got married.
6: Yes, yes. So we got married um, and we're in the process of combining all of our finances, all that kind of good stuff. And so I was just kind of wondering. Um, we're both on kind of the same financial standing. Uh, she's got a little bit of um, school debt. I've got a little bit of credit card debt. We both make about the same amount of money. Um, so as far as combining finances go, I was wondering if you know, there's a lot of best practices, stuff like that, because I was trying to read online, and there's sure. all sorts of information all over the place.
0: Well, so. one of the factors I look at is how old both of you are.
6: Okay. Uh, we're both in our mid-30s.
0: So at that point, when you get married after you've lived independently for a long time, don't rush combining everything. Okay. Because you've each developed your own habits, no matter how much it feels like you're on the same wavelength. You're not going to be exactly on the same wavelength, having been in a position where each of you have made all the decisions with everything involved with money. And it can cause tension, especially... uh, in the first couple of years of a marriage if you just all of a sudden combine everything. So it's different for people who get married in their early 20s, which not as many people do anymore, but getting married in your mid-30s, which is more common now, I like for you to have his money, her money, their money. And by that, I mean having a joint household account that both of you share and you have Money that you each contribute to that each month for rent slash mortgage, other household expenses that you figure out, and then you still have some money that's yours in an account and she has money that's hers in an account. Okay. And then with Um, credit cards, I don't want you to combine those for uh, a few years.
6: All right. So credit cards for a few years. Yeah, that was actually going to be my uh, next question. Because as far as, you know, combining into a joint account, that's a checking account, and I know you don't like debit cards. Uh, So I was reading, you know, there's a thing like with credit cards, especially for joint groceries, things like that. I can make her like an uh, account holder uh, under my credit card or um, a joint credit card, something like that. Is there anything as far as that goes with the credit cards?
0: So for spending that you're going to do that fits under the house account category, like groceries you're going to both eat... um, your cell phone bills if you combine a cell phone plan, any of the stuff you're doing as a combined activity it's great for you to have like a house account credit card that you pay in full each month that has some kind of rewards attached to it that is your first joint credit account. But for things okay. like when she's going to buy clothes or you are or she's going to get her hair done or whatever because you're each approaching it from years of making individual decisions those things are best at least for now left as individual charges on on individual cards rather than on one that's joint
6: okay and so we can't do like a joint credit card i didn't realize that was a thing
0: (laughs) yeah you can be co-owners of a card or you can or she can add you for a house account she can add you as an authorized user or you can add her as an authorized user to one of yours for the things that fit under house expenditures. The concept is that you know over time, you'll find how best your spending merges as your life uh, goes on together, but mm-hmm. doing it all at once can cause tension that you didn't even know could be there, and that's why the merging of finances should be gradual instead of immediate. And congratulations to both of you.